previously on Little Bit Leave It. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK in the USA. My name is Ben and today I'm by myself, at least for this intro, because we are doing another compilation. It's Little Bit Leave It After Dark. That's right. We are going to talk about the sexiest jobs in the UK. We are going to talk about the sexual fetishes that people in the UK seem to uh, be uh, a little enamored with. And uh, we are going to go through the history of the bedding ceremony, the medieval practice that somehow has survived to this very day, and we see it on Love Island. So, yeah. Uh, And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit. And, uh, you know, we appreciate all that support, and we appreciate everybody who listens. So thank you for listening, and enjoy Little Bit Leave It After Dark. This episode of Little Bit Leave It is brought to you by Jeff McIntyre. Sure, you might know him as the creative mastermind of such beloved cultural projects as the Birthday CD, but did you also know he's considered one of the top middle school band teachers in Bergen County and the undisputed sousaphone king of the Route 17 corridor? And in addition to the Birthday CD, Jeff has authored and self-published over 20 different books of jokes with titles such as 1,000 Marching Band Jokes, 1,000 More Marching Band Jokes, and I bet you didn't think we could come up with another 1,000 Marching Band Jokes, but guess what? We did! Jeff is also a very good cook and has taken a number of classes at Bergen Community College, where he has learned to prepare a variety of classic French sauces. Jeff is a good listener, and he always remembers people's birthdays. He's good at staying in touch without being overbearing. He doesn't mind driving people to the airport, and he owns a box truck for the sole purpose of helping someone move if he is asked. Jeff keeps the box truck at a commercial parking lot, and it barely gets used apart from when he has to drive it around just to keep the engine warm. He spends almost $300 per month for the parking space, and when you combine it with the insurance costs, it really doesn't seem like the smartest financial decision for a middle school band teacher. But every time he thinks about selling it, he can't help but wonder what would happen if a friend needed to move in an emergency and had been relying on Jeff's box truck, only to find out he sold it. So, Jeff still has the box truck. All of that just goes to show how thoughtful Jeff is. So head on over to www.jeff-mcintyre-website.net to get your hands on your very own copy of the birthday CD or one of Jeff's joke books or just to send Jeff an email. He always responds within 12 hours, no matter what he's doing. And remember, if Jeff did it, it's gotta be good. Okay, so yeah, thank you to Jeff for the advertisement. That was so much less stressful than some of these other ones we've been getting. Yes, that was a good one. And if you want to support the podcast... Because we are an independent podcast supported by our listeners, currently one listener as of this recording. Uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash little bit leave it. 
And for $2 per month, you get access to Spoils of Love, which is bonus content with every single episode that we are now working to make really, really good and enjoyable for everybody. Now that someone's listening to it, we have to uh, raise the bar a little. Yeah. For $5 a month, you can join the Dupit Society, and that is how you get to hang out with us on our private Discord server. And that is how you get access to the full bonus episodes, like our tribute to Caroline Flack. We released a sample of that. If you want the whole episode, all 40 minutes instead of the 10 or so that we included in the sample, you've got to be in the Do Bit Society. And that's $5 per month. Patreon.com slash LittleBitLeaveIt. All right, so today's deep dive, we are talking about betting ceremonies. So if you watched Game of Thrones, you are probably familiar with the concept, and you are probably wondering why we are bringing it up. So in this episode, we see Finn and Paige going to the hideaway for the first time. They're the first couple of the season. But more interestingly, we see the preparation for the hideaway. Paige and Finn getting themselves cleaned up and dressed, accompanied by their friends, and then the ceremonial meeting of the men and women outside the dressing rooms. The whole thing feels ritualistic, and at this point in the series, the producers may help guide the contestants, but the contestants basically know what is expected of them. At this point, the whole process is a Love Island ritual, and it's one that gets more celebrated and formal as we go along, And the ritual is directly descended from the practice of betting ceremonies, which dates back to the Middle Ages in Europe. Basically, a betting ceremony is the custom of family and friends putting the newlyweds together in a bed and watching them screw. Supposedly. I'm sorry, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) I know. Supposedly, it was meant to symbolize the community's involvement in a marriage, which itself isn't crazy. I remember coming to the realization early in our own wedding planning that the wedding was for our guests, not for us. A lot of the time, people wouldn't actually watch the sex, even though the original reason for having a betting ceremony was to have sex to prevent the marriage from being annulled. It was literally what made a marriage legally binding. Isn't that still the case? It's easier to get a marriage annulled if you haven't boned yet? Maybe. Interesting. I don't know. I didn't really look into that. There goes that option. <laughs> Let's just say that I am a little dubious of these claims that the friends and family of the newlyweds were not really like into this whole thing and left before the sex started. Because that is one thing you read about some of the accounts that say, oh, but people probably left before the sex really started. Seems to be the consensus of a lot of modern historians. But a lot of accounts really actually imply that they left the room after they knew the sex had begun. They were there to verify that sex was happening, and they wouldn't leave until they knew that the sex had started. What era are we in? Like, where are we in time? Are we in your... So... Dates back, I guess, to the Middle Ages, but it really continued until the late 17th century, early 18th century. It really stopped probably, yeah, in like the early 1700s to the mid 1700s, at least in England. Well, because I'm just thinking about all the Puritans coming to the U.S. with their uptight little views and how, you know, in the Middle Ages and whatnot, fucking was just something people did. It wasn't this, you know, hugely shameful thing. And so there was probably a lot more public carousing. So there is a little bit more privacy, especially 
when you're talking about the lower classes as you move forward in time. And eventually it kind of becomes more symbolic and it's something that is still a custom even in the late 18th century, but it's not like people are actually having sex anymore at the bedding ceremonies by that point. Up until the, say, 1720s or something, you there are documented cases of nobility engaging in betting ceremonies and the nobles were the ones who were really freaks about the whole thing but let me get into that were they eating popcorn i don't know if there was any popcorn there but the bride and groom were definitely undressed by their friends and family especially the royals who definitely stuck around and played some flirty and like sexy games with them as part of the foreplay. This is actually where the tradition of throwing the bride's stocking or garter into a crowd comes from. Hmm. So back then, it was actually the bride who would do it, not the groom. If you got hit with the bride's garter, it meant you were going to be like the next guy to get a turn married. Yeah, no, not get a turn. No, (laughs) no, they're not that freaky. Ah, that's a shame. So we do know of one instance in England where Charles II acted as the cheering section for his nephew, William of Orange, when he consummated his marriage with Mary II, who I guess was also technically Charles II's niece. Very, very weird. And Charles was known, I think, for being... A freak? Yeah, hedonist of some sort. His court was known as hedonistic. And he gave them a few pointers while they were actually banging, apparently. Nice. Yeah. So these tips were not well received, though. Mary (laughs) was not really into the marriage to begin with. So uh, William of Orange was actually 12 years her senior. She was only 15 when this happened. Oh, way to ruin it. Yeah, well, she did not want to leave England either. She did not want to go to the Netherlands where William lived. Her family was not into it, but it had to happen for the House of Stuart to carry on so they could continue to hold the English throne. So she married her cousin William, and old King Charlie is yelling stuff like, Now, nephew, to your work. Hey, St. George for England. And this is while she is, you know, receiving William's orange member. And the family's involvement didn't end with coitus either, by the way. Usually, someone was sent in afterward. It might be a nurse, but it might be a family member, and they're there to check for blood on the sheets to make sure the woman was a virgin. I guess you could still annul the marriage if you find out the woman wasn't quote-unquote a virgin, and we all know, you know, the hymen can be broken in a number of ways. There's no direct evidence that bleeding on the sheets has anything to do with virginity, blah, 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 blah. But what happened? Do you know? Well, so there are a lot of social class dimensions to the entire ceremonial betting practice. It was the nobles who seemed to be focused on virgin brides. It wasn't really regular folks so much. They were probably fucking all the time, the regular folks. I don't know, but it was royals who really watched each other also do the nasty Regular people also, of course, had their own betting ceremonies, but the royals were very concerned with joining families together and securing power and alliances through marriages and bloodlines. So really seeing the act was important for them. And regular people don't really care about that stuff so much, but that doesn't mean that communities did not have an interest in Watching the sex. marriages. No, in oh. the marriages. 
I've been to the Netherlands. I've been to Amsterdam. I know what's up. I'm focused primarily on English betting ceremonies. We take for granted how household and communities work today, but people did not really live by themselves or in couples or small nuclear families back in these times. They lived in larger family groups and communities were more interdependent on each other because your world was just much smaller. Everything you needed had to be produced by your immediate community and Major disputes that disrupted the community's harmony could actually affect your survival. So the betting ceremony has an analogous function in some ways in the lower classes because it does get the community invested in the marriage. A big difference between royal betting ceremonies and lower class beddings was the formality. Regular people were led to the bed just like their noble counterparts, but they usually returned to the party afterwards and they weren't stripped naked, usually, or prepared for the act of intercourse by courtiers or ladies-in-waiting. Just basically their friends would, you know, force them into a room, they'd leave them alone for 10 minutes, and then everyone would come back together to celebrate. So a common- Not even a shower or a sponge bath? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think hygiene was also approached differently back then. True. A commonality between the royal and regular betting ceremonies was the involvement of a religious official. Royals usually had bishops bless the bed and stick around to be a part of the cheering section. Regular people had a priest around to verify and bless the marriage after they did the deed, kind of just to make it totally official. Uh, But there aren't any priests on Love Island, thankfully. Instead, we have an oversized black feather and, interestingly, a pair of long black gloves because it is a coincidence in Scotland during the 17th century and even the early 18th century after a marriage had been consummated everyone would take a drink and give the newlyweds gloves as a present and Paige is Scottish Hmm. just saying Hmm. in any case the hideaway ceremony on Love Island really is a modern day betting ceremony. And just like how betting ceremonies of the past get the community invested in a marriage, the hideaway ceremony gets all of the islanders invested in that couple, right? Yeah. Well done. I learned something today that I didn't even know existed. So brava. Yeah. And there is a lot on betting ceremonies in other countries as well. There are some fun stories I came across involving French royalty and betting ceremonies. I will just leave that to you, the listeners, to Google because there are some really fun and freaky stories about these royals. Liven up your next wedding. Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe, do you regret that we did not have a betting ceremony at our wedding? No, we already lived together. Yeah, but still, do you think a betting ceremony could have been fun? No. (laughs) I don't think it would be very fun to me. Well, that was a pretty fun one to research. I bet it was. I think it is. Yeah, all these uh, drawings and photos of betting ceremonies. Ye old exhibitionism. Yeah. Ye old voyeurs. Done by artists from the 17th century, obviously. I can think of a couple Facebook groups that would be really into that. Okay, now let's get into... This very, very fun deep dive topic. We're going to. Naughty. Yes, very naughty. We're going to talk about some fetishes that are very popular in the UK. So, Beck, tell us, what did you learn in your very exciting research? 
Well, first I learned that if you Google British kinks, you're going to get a lot about the Village Green Preservation Society. So I had to re-Google British fetishes. That's really funny. Yeah, it was. So there was an article from January 2020 about the top UK fetishes. Friday, January 17th was National Fetish Day in the UK, and the article actually brought up Finn and his foot fetish. So everything tied together really nicely. Uh, according to Killing Kittens, a company that organizes sex parties for pleasure-seeking people in the UK has revealed the top 10 fetishes in the UK through a new survey. So first of all, Killing Kittens, that's disgusting. That does not make me want to go have a do-bits party. Wait. Killing Kittens is one of the fetishes? No, it's the company that organizes sex parties in the UK. All right. Well, that's less disturbing than having Killing Kittens be one of the fetishes that we were going to discuss. So, Okay. So of those surveyed, the favorite kinks were, from most to least popular, BDSM, uh, 16% of respondents said they are into it, feet. 5%. Okay. Oh, 16 to 5. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah. BDSM by far was the number one of the king. So BDSM, feet, 5%. Exhibitionism, 4%. Restraints, 4%. So, okay. This is a little... So BDSM and restraints are different. That's, that's interesting. Okay. Well, you know... It depends, I guess, on what you're focused on when you're BDSMing. That's true. And BDSM, I guess, does include spanking, which is, I think, very popular, right? Yes. <laughs> I think in England, too, right? Spanking Probably. is a big deal in England. Probably. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. I did so much work that I forgot what I did. <laughs> uh, okay, so group sex, 4%. Latex, 4%. Shibari rope, 3.5%. And that's... You know, well, you can Google it, but that's tying ropes in sexy ways and binding people. Don't they do shibari rope challenges or activities in one of the episodes? Oh. I don't know if it's this season. I'm trying to remember if that's this show or another show. I'm wondering, was that too hot to handle that did oh, that? Oh, yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. We watched too much of this shit. <laughs> Please end the pandemic. I need to have my brains back. Okay. Shibari rope, three and a half percent. Voyeurism, three and a half percent. Leather, 3%, and threesome, 2.5%. And I do like that group sex is more popular than threesomes, making me wonder how many P's and V's you've got going on here. Yeah, I think I understand latex is its own thing, and leather is its own thing, but leather, BDSM also, there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of relationships between these different fetishes, right? Yeah, but it depends on the part that makes you happy. You don't yeah. have to wear leather. Right. When you're spanking each other, you know, you can use a paddle. Yeah, you don't have to wear anything, really. No, that's the beautiful thing about it. Yeah. Do as you please. So less popular fetishes, but also mentioned were hairbrushes. That's a spanking thing, right? Or is that a hairbrushing thing? <laughs> I don't know. You can look that up and let me know. Or don't. Uh, dollification. Hunter wellies, that is the most British thing I have ever heard. Hold on, hold on. Those are those, there's a fetish around those those galoshes? Yes. You mean the ones that were really popular here, I don't know, 10 years ago? Yes. Huh. Okay. Ugg boots. No. Dude, I, I literally copy pasted this list from the article. No, there's, now I need to do some research. Yeah. Being paid. Being paid, like, as in prostitution? 
I mean, I guess it could be just like a fantasy scenario. Or is it like a paycheck? Like you get, you know, like you, you get a paycheck from your boss or direct deposit. Ooh, Ooh, that's really hot. You don't even have to leave the house. Mm. No, I guess like if a couple within a consenting relationship wanted to play getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Flowers, which I'm thinking is not just the act of one person presenting their mate with a pretty bouquet. I'm guessing there's something else going on there. Yeah, okay. More research needed to understand the flower fetish as well. Dimples. You know, I'm going to say, if you're trying to fuck a dimple... (laughs) You're going to have a bad time. (laughs) What is that? I did not look these up any further because I don't want our four-year-old to stumble on our on my computer while doing a Zoom class. So you were not doing this work in an incognito window? No. Well, have fun with uh, your new Google uh, recommendations. That'll be, that'll be no, fun. No, because I didn't search each of them. I guess if I was to search each of them in incognito mode, I would know, I would know more than I need to know. And I don't want to know more than I need to know. I need, I still need my brain for things. Okay, anyway. Dimples, being pressed naked against the glass of a tall building. That is oddly specific. Yeah, what was that? What's that hotel in... Um, oh, the Standard Hotel. The Standard Hotel in Manhattan is famous for people getting busy up against the glass and everybody walking by can see it. So that's a thing. Yeah, so that must be the global headquarters for that fetish. <laughs> Do they meet on Tuesdays also? Is the fetish being inside the building or outside the building? Because at first I was picturing outside the building. And that to me is much funnier of like someone just like, you know, walking through midtown Manhattan and just going up to a skyscraper, taking their clothes off and just like pushing themselves against the external wall while they're standing on the sidewalk. I'm just picturing like a Bank of America and people in the ATM vestibule on the inside and on the outside. Two people just going at it. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been out in society. Uh, Anyway, the last two are smelly feet. Ooh, yeah. And blood. Huh. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I think one of the things I always associate with Brits and sex is spanking, right? And that was mentioned as BDSM. So I decided to do a little bit of further research on spanking as a sex thing. And I found an article, Do British Men Deserve Their Reputation for Enjoying Being Spanked? And this article, I will put the link in the, uh, in the somewhere, I will leave the link and you can read it yourself, that there are cultural reasons, like real cultural reasons for why it's kind of a thing. Um, they allude to fancy boarding schools and how the upper crust, you know, boys used to go there and they would get spanking. So now as an adult, spanking is a form of nostalgia or comfort when, uh, Britain passed obscenity laws. Um, it was really hard to get your hands on any materials about sex. And the Greek and Latin texts that you know you got in your fancy schools were some of the only exposures that you could get. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and they're up to all kinds of things, those Greeks and Latins. And then- Wait, all- wait, wait. I think you meant Greeks and Romans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, they're up to all kinds of things, those Greeks and Romans. Go ahead. And then also, um, from the general perspective, it's really enjoyable to think about the stereotypical, stuffy, austere, upper-class Brits getting spanked. And then they also, here's where it gets like super smart. They mentioned Michel Foucault, the French thinker, 
His theory in that by generating repression about sex, we have to constantly think and talk about sex. And so incessant repression enables our desire to constantly focus on sex. That sounds about right to me. Yes. So this article is great. I highly recommend you reading it. You will feel both a little smart and a little turned on. Wow. Well, that that does sound like fun. Now, there's another fetish that I have long associated with Britain uh, and the people who live there, and that is the wet and messy fetish, uh, which is also known as sploshing. So I, I remember I first came across this, I don't know, a long time ago, 10 or 15 years ago, first became aware of it. Um, so sploshing, which I think is actually, the name is either taken from a magazine or the biggest magazine around the kink, which is called Splosh, uh, is named after it. But it, it involves food, but also mud or slime or other kinds of gooey stuff and people basically just getting really, really messy and covered in things like uh, custard, jello. Um, and sometimes everybody stays clothed. They don't even get naked uh, sometimes. Uh, a lot of the time, actually. There's a really good interview from uh, the UK paper Metro uh, from 2017 with a woman named Candy Custard, who is a sex worker who specializes in the wet and messy fetish. And it, which interesting, she talks about it takes a full day to set up and a full day to clean up the yeah. appointments that she she does with her clients. That sounds about right. Does she just set it up and then do a line of splashing with all her clients or does she only do one client at a time? I can't imagine that that's very lucrative unless she's getting a ton of money per client. Yeah, I, I think that she can charge a lot of money. These are private sessions. She is, I think, a very well-known wet and messy model. So interestingly, also, most of the male customers, at least most of her male customers, she said, also dress up as women beforehand. There are some also uh, interesting crossovers with other fetishes. I guess, you know, rolling around in jello with fake boobs, like, have at it. Yeah. And there's a, well, there's a whole, uh, again, uh, there's a whole thing about being naughty about being disobedient getting messy right is is one of those things that uh, a lot of kids are warned not to do they well, yeah i think that kind of also you know dovetails in with those stuffy exactly prep schools right exactly well when you think about just what we think about the stereotypical british culture of as stiff upper lip a little repressive repress your emotions the victorian uh morals about sex and and the prohibitions about women and children Unseem um, unseemliness yeah yeah so it does all kind of make sense it's all of a piece and so when they a lot of times when these men do dress up as women they dress up very elegantly which is also i think pretty cool oh i was thinking of them like dressed like the queen Oh, yeah. I mean, no, they get dressed up. Um, and then there's also some crossover, I guess, with clothing destruction fetish, which kind of makes some sense, too. Um, and, of course, there's a big crossover with humiliation and BDSM, but it's typically a lot more playful than, than other types of humiliation sex acts. It's also not that different, if you think about it, from mud wrestling and oil wrestling and really wet t-shirt contests are very closely related to... Uh, wet and messy 
fetishism. And we see a lot, I think, of the influence of sploshing on Love Island. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Secrets, kissing, and getting messy. Yeah. So that whole, you know, when they sit on stuff and their butts get messy, that's also a sploshing influence. And one of the other things I thought was a really fun kind of play on words is, of course, getting pied, right? And, right, we see them literally getting pied in a lot of seasons, a lot of games, right? That is... And that's obviously a really common phrase. And it's classic sploshing, right? Ooh, there you go. That was a very deep dive. Yeah. Woo! Let's talk about scaffolders. Let's talk about sexy jobs. Because Shauna, the first episode, is all like, oh, another scaffolder, because she dated a scaffolder who cheated on her. And then uh, the other girls are talking about scaffolders. And I just did not think of scaffolder as a prominent profession. Okay, so I was thinking about that also. And maybe it's just like a weird coincidence that keeps happening to her. Well, I would say yes, except what I find odd is that it is not just Shauna who thinks about, you know, scaffolders as like, I don't know, as like sexy or... Too bad Nas is just a builder. If he were a scaffolder, he'd be having much right. better luck. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's funny the names of the professions and how they're different. Like a scaffolder is there, does exactly what a scaffolder would do here. But it's not a thing. Well, yeah. You, you just think of them as like construction workers with a specialty in scaffolding. Nobody necessarily calls them scaffolders here. Though maybe the labor union situation is different in the UK and there's a scaffolders union. And so it's just a more prominent profession. There's probably a scaffolder union here too uh i don't think it's like specific to scat maybe i don't know i or a local we'll have to look that up we'll look that up and report back to you of whether there's Nobody a scaffold cares union. about that except you and me we got thinking what are the sexy jobs in the uk other than scaffolder and so we did some research I did some research anyway. I looked. And lo and behold, I found some lists. And Scaffolder appears nowhere on these lists of sexiest jobs in the United Kingdom. So let's start, though, with uh, a study from 2017. Well, that's three years ago. Things could change. Sure, sure. But we'll hit another one up momentarily. But from 2017, we have a study by a certain dating site. With the number five sexiest job is lawyer. Number four, sexiest job is real estate developer. Oh, you like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. That is part of my profession and sort of part of my day job. Well, you know, go to the UK, see what happens. Well, if we keep going here, I think I think you will see that this list is a little suspect. So number three, sexiest job, doctor. Okay. So yeah, as much as I want to believe that I could You're go over a doctor and a lawyer. Yeah, to the UK and just land a bunch of really sexy women, I, I have my doubts. I have my doubts. Well, I have my doubts that it would be because of my profession. Let's just put it that way. Uh, number two, software engineer. Because, yeah, computer programming, super Nerds. sexy, right? Money. I guess they're all about the money. This is what I'm getting because number one is finance manager. Money guy. First, what even is that? Like an investment banker or a wealth advisor? Well, I know what a financial advisor is. I know what an investment banker is. I don't know what a finance manager is unless you're talking about like a a controller or something. No, No, it's one of those. They're like flashy guys in expensive suits who make too much money for doing nothing. Sounds made up to me. But anyway, let's- Didn't you see The Wolf of Wall Street? 
Let's let's just go with it. It's like the wolf of, so, I don't know, Downing Street. What's the... But, but where I'm going with this is all five of them are very money-oriented, right? All, it's all stuff that has reputations for making a lot of money. Doctor and lawyer have its own prestige. Yeah, doctor and lawyer are very high prestige, but... I guess, and also maybe in the UK, they don't make as much money as they do here. I mean, certainly doctors don't. But in any case, the source of this list, it's really funny. It's a site called What's Your Price? Have you ever heard of whatsyourprice.com? No. Yeah, me neither. Not until I read this. It is a dating site, supposedly, but it's more like a dating auction site. And so what they did was they took their 5,000 top members in the UK. So first of all, they have 800,000 members worldwide, which sounds like a lot, but there are, you know, billions. Yeah, billions of people, right? So 800,000 in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. And we don't even know how many of them are in the UK. So billions how of people. representative a sample people for me is this? Not Yeah, I don't know. But the idea was that these are the professions that got the highest auction prices where you can bid on taking somebody on a date. So you bid actual money on these people? You know, that wasn't clear whether people are actually bidding real money to go on these dates, but it was certainly implied. Well, it has to have some kind of currency or else it's meaningless. I can just put like one million. But if I'm not like trading in some like credits or I mean, there must be real money involved. Just think Unless about this. Unless you can play like Candy Crush and then like turn those into Yeah, they auction. probably have like ways you can watch commercials and, and turn it into points that you could bid on an auction or something. Or you can mine. You can do Bitcoin mining. <laughs> think about that as like a dating site, as a concept for a dating site, right? You, you don't get to pick who you go on a date with. You put yourself up for auction and just go to the highest bidder. That's gross. Who gets the money first? Definitely not poor people. And... But like, who gets? Well, wouldn't that be a charitable way to go about it? I mean, like, does the website? It? But does the website must take some percentage of money, and then do you then have to pay to go on the? Like, who are you paying to go on the date? The the person, the website, and if you're paying the person, like, what really is the? I guess the difference is that they're not a professional escort. They're like an amateur who's moonlighting on what's your price. Or it goes to pay for the date. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, so if you spend $500, like, You have to spend it on the date. Yeah. And then the website could have deals. They could have deals with certain restaurants and hotels and resorts. And that way, the website can make money off of the resort partnership. See, I'm already, look at me, thinking about this like a business opportunity. I'm sick. After this podcast starts paying for itself, then we can move on to other things. Once it goes on autopilot and we're able to turn it over to the substitute hosts full time, uh, we'll be introducing them next week. It's really just our son and one of the cats. I moved on because I felt like whatyourprice.com was maybe not the best source of information. So I went to what I think is now, you know, the gold standard of online dating businesses. And that, of course, is Tinder. Tinder has a list that I think is much more believable because it's a mix of things that make a lot of money, things that are, you know, traditionally thought of as sexy. Anyway, I think the Tinder list is a much more representative list because it does include some jobs that are prestigious, some others that may just make a lot of money and then others that are thought of as sexy. So I think this is a much, much better list. But and these are obviously all the jobs for men. We, I didn't get into the jobs for women because we were talking about scaffolders and Callum from 15 to one. I'm just going to run through them quickly. Soldier at number 15. Barf. Yeah. Cop at number 14. Barf. Yeah. 
13, financial advisor. There you go. 12, personal trainer. So a lot of Love Island contestants from previous seasons, right? Lawyer, number 11. Number 10 is interesting. College student, number 10. I was wondering if that's just because college students were taking this quiz. I bet it's that. And I also think that maybe it's more respectable because here any idiot with, you know, rich parents can go to college. And I think this is measuring right swipes. So another thing would be if you have a lot of college students on the app, they're probably going to swipe on a lot of college students. So maybe college student is inflated because of that. And that's not necessarily sexy. But number nine, paramedic. I mean, when I was in college, the college students were sexy. So yeah. So number nine, paramedic. Number eight, model. Lots of models on Love Island. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of models. Number seven, engineer. That's cool. Number six, teacher. Very noble, right? I mean, that's great. I'm happy for the teachers. That's very different. Teacher sandwich right in between engineer at seven and TV personality at number five. Presenter. I like how they call them presenters. Yes. In the UK. Number four, doctor again. Number three, our old friend, the firefighter. I mean, who doesn't think a firefighter sexy? I'm sorry. Number two, founder slash entrepreneur. Hey, hey, high five to us. High five to us. And number one is pilot. Sexiest job in the UK, according to Tinder. I guess. I'm down for free vacations. I am not sure if that's... The sex appeal. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was the is idea. the guy flying the, like the giant dick through the sky? Is that it? I don't know. I think it's more just the idea that, you know, Top Gun, Tom Cruise, right? That he can fly the giant dick with skill. I, I guess. Okay. I guess. But all that also got me really curious about the least sexy jobs in the UK. So the least sexiest of all is somebody who works in the sewer. And I think these were framed as who you would least likely to have sex with. Who would you refuse to have sex with? Oh, on the show Younger... There's a character who works in the sewers, and he's fine as hell. So it just goes to show you a lot of differences between countries. Because these are a lot of dirty jobs, though. It's like sewer worker, janitor, undertaker, garbage man, and then, of course, politician, right in between garbage man and fishmonger. That is amazing. I think I need to sit and like absorb that deliciousness. Bailiffs, traffic cops, exterminator. And then the least disturbing profession in the world, taxidermist. And then somebody who works in a slaughterhouse. And coming in down at the bottom, now there's only 2% said they would not have sex with this person, but it's, it's sad. It's an accountant. Aww. Yeah. Aww. You guys should love your accountants. That poor, pasty, pale guy has a good heart and a sharp mind. What makes you think an accountant is always pasty and pale? Have you seen accountants? I've seen lots of accountants. I don't know. I'm just fucking around. 